Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. As the recently elected president of the American Cinema Editors, also known as ACE, Kevin Tent is leading the charge to make working smarter instead of harder in the edit bay one of his top priorities. He is dedicated to making changes like taking regular walking breaks, adding in meditation, and even, oh my God, taking an occasional nap, <gasps> the horror, to enhance your creativity and get you through the day with more energy left over for your family and yourself when the work is over. Kevin describes himself as a quote-unquote somewhat professional film editor who has worked in Hollywood for nearly 30 years, and he is best known for his collaboration with director Alexander Payne, and he has edited such films as Citizen Ruth, Election, About Schmidt, Sideways, Nebraska, Blow, and Girl Interrupted. He has learned the value of taking care of his body and his mind while trying to balance the demanding schedules of Hollywood feature films. In our conversation today, Kevin and I talk candidly about the habits that he has implemented for better health and creativity while editing, many of which, by the way, came about from learning the hard way from years of neglect. And Kevin also clears up the confusion about the American Cinema Editors Organization and details about how someone can qualify and become a member. And most importantly, Kevin speaks honestly about the value of becoming an ACE member and the benefits that doing so can have on your well-being and your career. By the way, spoiler alert, it's not to boost your career or find more jobs. If you want to know how one of the top names in the feature editing game stays sharp and continues to work at such a high level, today's conversation is for you. All right, without further ado, my conversation with the newly elected president of American Cinema Editors, Kevin Tent. I'm here today with Kevin Tent, who is, as he calls it, a somewhat professional film editor that's living in Hollywood, California. And somehow this somewhat semi-professional editor on the side has become the newly elected president of American cinema editors. Uh, you've cut such films as The Peanut Butter Falcon, Downsizing, Nebraska, The Descendants, Sideways, About Schmidt, Election, and many more. There's some real classics in there. Uh, Kevin, my God, is it a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Zach. Uh, so this is going to be a really exciting conversation for many, many reasons. I've been an admirer of many of your films for years. Uh, Election and Sideways are two of my favorites. I actually did uh, some extensive marketing work for Sideways very early in my career. Uh, really? So yeah, it's not, not that we ever crossed paths, but um, I lived and breathed Sideways for about six months doing TV spots and marketing and DVD pieces and whatnot. So oh, um, really? got, got to know oh, that I film know very that. well. Yes. Way back oh, in the day. Good. Very so you, early in my career. You worked at Searchlight then? I didn't work at Searchlight. I worked for a, a smaller marketing agency that was doing uh, marketing materials for oh. Searchlight. 
Oh, how cool. Uh, and then I subsequently, because of that, I ended up cutting a Fox Searchlight feature and cutting all the trailers for the feature that I had done for Searchlight, partly because I had the experience working on Sideways. So there's a lot of connections we have that you oh, didn't even know about. Yeah. yeah, how about that? That's so good. The The crux of our conversation is most likely going to be a lot about the, the process of editing and staying healthy, uh, making sure that we're taking care of ourselves. These are all things that are huge bullet points of importance and something that you wanted to talk about and bring into the world of American cinema editors. And I promise we will get there. But for the few, the the very few listeners that might not be aware of you, your story and the work that you've done throughout your career, I'd love to get a little bit more of an origin story just to understand the most common question. Hey, how'd you break into the business? Just so we, just so we have some background and then we're going to dive into more of the, the process, the habits, the health and all that good stuff. Well, I guess I could start. Uh, I'll start at the when I moved to Los Angeles, or I'll start a little before, I'll, I'll, I will make it brief. <laughs> you can, You're an editor, you so know, you can, you can kind of call the material down. Yeah, I'm going to try to hit just the headlines. But um, I never even knew what editing was uh, when I was a young, when I was a teenager and stuff, but I had this vague notion that I wanted to work in movies. Um, and it was some friends of mine in high school, actually maybe junior high, had made a couple of little Super 8 films. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And we became friends and we made a couple of films and really amateur stuff. But uh, when I went to college um, in upstate New York, Oswego State, I went into the broadcasting department thinking that that was kind of something I wanted to do. But I got, I, but it really was for broadcasters. And I decided that wasn't what I, that I was interested in. I was really interested in working in movies. And I dropped out. And my roommate, Bob stayed in the program and wound up working at uh, like right out of college, got a job at a TV station down in Florida and worked there as a director and everything like that. So the, the, the department worked really well at funneling people into the broadcasting part of, of our world. I uh, dropped out, traveled around the country for a while looking for adventures and um, uh, with always the hope of, with always the plan of coming to Los Angeles, which I did. And through another kind of crazy story, I wound up going to LA City College. I wound up working on a short film for somebody at LA City College. And um, I went to that school and I was like, well, this is pretty cool. It was a brand new building. They, uh, they, it was really quite, they had a great brand new equipment. It was before Proposition, right before Proposition 13 went through. So they had all this, they had this great building funded and paid for and, and everything, but they had no funding for instructors. They had very few instructors. So it was kind of like uh, you went in there, you made films and you got, you showed them and it was kind of great. It was perfect for me. There was a lot of hands-on experience. And that actually, that's editorially speaking, there's something that, that happened in, when I made one of my short films. A friend of mine uh, came into the cutting room to look at what I was working on and he goes, what if you just cut from this shot here to this shot way later in the scene and it cut out all this stuff in the middle and I, I go, oh, that's a good idea. And so I did it. And I was like, oh, my God. It just made the whole scene better. And so that was the first time I remember thinking, whoa, editing is, that's, that was amazing that that just happened. I was really stuck. And it just made everything better. And uh, it went from one joke to another. And it was just much faster and everything like that. Anyways, I made a couple of short films. And then that same friend of mine had been working for an educational film company um, part-time doing set work and stuff like that. And he said, Hey, they're looking for an editor at this place. I said, okay. So I went in there and took my short films and it was a place called Al Higgins productions. And they were those really bad educational films that we all saw when we were in grade school and high school and stuff like that. You know, films about drinking and driving and VD and all <laughs> sorts of stuff. So, um, anyways, I wound up getting that job. And my very first film was, uh, I think it was, Cities, what are they? Which was for really little kids, which was a hilarious little film. But, and I always tell people this, the good thing about the job was that it was just me. So I had to do pretty much everything. I didn't cut our own negative, but I did everything else. I had to cut sound effects, cut music, um, take it to a little mix stage, mix it, and take it to the lab. So I learned all these step-by-step these -step processes that, that I needed to know for when my next job came up which was reading a film for Roger Corman. And that was when I realized, well, first of all, that was a great place to be an editor because you had to move so quickly and you could be cutting one film one day and then, you know, 
or you could be an assistant on a film one day and then cutting another film. But they had a problematic film uh, that Roger had bought and uh, made no sense. And it was kind of just a disaster. And they wanted me to recut it. And, and then because I had the skill set of getting it all through the lab and everything, they didn't want to spend a lot of money. They just wanted to hand it off to somebody and finish it, you know, get it done. And I happened to get the job because of that. Anyways, I worked in, a, I did a lot of Roger movies, a lot of low budget horror films and comedies and stuff like that. Years later, um, sorry, I feel like I'm jumping around all over the place, but uh, years That's all right. These are just the dailies. Them. We'll edit them later. <laughs> okay. Thank God. All right, good. You can make <laughs> some sense out of them. That'll be a great thing. A couple of years later, or maybe five, six years later, I ran into Tamara Davis, who was one of my co-students at LACC. And she, I ran into her at the supermarket right over in Silver Lake. And she said, you know, I said, we, we kept in touch. And she said, what do you do? And I go, well, I'm still editing. I'll do this, this, this. And I said, what do you do? And she goes, well, I just got my first feature to direct. Do you want to cut it? And right there in the aisle of the Mayfair Market in Silver Lake, I said, sure. And uh, anyways, that movie was gun crazy. And it was the first early, like, independent film that kind of became like a hip thing. Like, I remember friends of mine in New York had actually stood in line to go see it. And then they called me up and said, oh, man, you know, I can't believe it. We saw your movie. That's so cool. And, and, it, and it was the very beginning of this kind of what we now have our independent films. And it was really a good film. It's actually really good and super low budget and everything like that. But uh, very good. Anyways, then a couple of years later after that, I got a call from Alexander Payne, who was looking for an editor for his first movie, Citizen Ruth. He got my number from a mutual friend of ours who was also a student at LACC, Carol Kravitz. I interviewed with him and um, we hit it off in the interview and I showed him my reel, uh, which had Gun Crazy on it. And I think he had known about Gun Crazy. I think he'd seen it or something. But he loved the idea that I had worked at Roger Corman's. And, um, and you know, we're, very, we're basically the same age and he's from Omaha and from Buffalo, New York. They're very similar. I don't know. We had similarities that we sort of connected. Um, anyways, he asked me to cut his first film, Citizen Ruth. And I have to say that that's when my... That film and and then when we did election, the next film really sort of launched my career and got me. It basically took off, especially after election. Anyone who had anything to do with election, you know, the composer, cinematographer, everybody got a career bump from that. And, uh, you know, you hope you have a film like that. And um, I didn't know it at the time, but that was the one that that was going to pop out and and do some business. And uh, we worked really hard on it. We worked a really long time on it, but uh, I had no idea. I mean, I loved it, but I had no idea it would become a hit or I guess if you call it a hit. It wasn't a commercial hit, but it was certainly- I, did, I, I put it in hit. the category of classic. Election has now become a classic. It's not just yeah. a hit. It's a classic. Yeah. Had no idea that that would be the case. Although I did go, this was an interesting thing. I did go to, the, there was a theater on the corner of Melrose and uh, La Brea, and it was playing there. And I was standing in line to go see it and it was night and this car drove by and this is true. And this guy leans out the window with a bunch of other guys in the car and he goes, he's just yelling to the people in line, great movie, great movie. And I was like, is he talking about election? I was like, that's <laughs> funny. Um, it was kind of a funny thing. Yeah. And then after that, um, you know, yeah, really basically after that, my career kind of took a huge bump. and. Um, Right after that, I had a really run of really, I thought, really interesting films. I went right into Girl Interrupted um, with Jim Mangold. That was a totally different film, full-on drama, which I loved. I loved And I've been very fortunate, and it's just been a, kind of a fluke in a lot of ways. But I mean, I've sort of semi-guided along, I suppose. But I've always tried to do some comedies and then try to throw some dramas in there. Just kind of mix it up so you don't get pigeonholed into, into one genre, you know. And I've been fortunate in that. I mean, some of it is up to me, but a lot of it's been luck and just the way the cards have fallen. So, um, but it, that was a really great film to do. So in one year I had Election come out and Girl Interrupted. Alexander and Jim got nominated for Academy Award for the screenplay. Angelina Jolie won an Academy Award for Girl Interrupted. So all of a sudden I was, you know, I was getting more calls than normal. 
So All of a sudden, good. you were an overnight success. Yes. It just it happened like that, Ten right? Ten years, and that, and that, and that's what I want to point out. There's going to be two very, uh, very different audiences that we're going to speak to today. The first audience that I want to talk to is going to be those that are still working their way up the career ladder that are so frustrated that they're working on stuff that nobody's watching. It's not very good. And what I tell people over and over and over, if you want to be not just a good editor, but a great editor, you've got to work on bad stuff because nothing makes you a better editor than solving problems on set with lack of coverage, bad story. And you've got years of being in the Roger Corman camp, which as we all know now is like the breeding ground for some of the best talent because you're working on really challenging material. So true. So true. It's really true. Yeah, really, that's 10 years. What I just said was 10 years from when I got my first feature film, which was Emmanuel Five, which was done at Roger Corbin's, uh, to, let's say, Citizen Ruth. Maybe that's nine years for Citizen Ruth, but by the time an election comes out, it's 10 years, 11 years. So, you know, and I worked on tons of ridiculous... I mean, I started out in educational films, believe me. I didn't even call myself an editor, and it was a producer who wound up becoming quite an established producer once told me, he goes, I was like, well, I'm still cutting these educational films. Blah, blah, blah. He goes, well, you're an editor. I'm like, well, no, not really. They're, they're just educated. He goes, what do you get paid to do? I go at it. He goes, you're an editor. I was like, okay, thanks for making me think about it that way. Um, but yeah, you're talking to me. I cut for four years. I cut ridiculous, bad educational films. I mean, so it takes a long time. And then I started doing the features and, you know, cutting anything I could. I just would, you know, I would just constantly be cutting. And I always tell people, young editors that too, even if they're frustrated and stuff like that, just keep on cutting stuff, you know, just get more and more experienced. You know, that's, at least that's how it's worked for me. So, and I think that's, I think that's how it works for most people. What uh, I, it's funny, I just had this conversation in a previous episode that I recorded with somebody that said there, there's always going to be this 1% of editors that just hitch their wagon to one director and they get lucky and that's their whole career. And on the surface, I'm sure people have said more than once, oh, yeah, you're Alexander Payne's editor. Right. Oh, yeah. Must be nice. Must all be nice to, to just have all the jobs handed to you. It's like if you do three and a half minutes of research on IMDb Pro, it's pretty clear that that's not the case with you. And yes, you did hit your wagon to Alexander Payne. You've had the, the luxury of being able to edit multiple uh, films of his, but that's because you've earned that right. But my guess is most of the conversations you have, your story starts at election. And then you talk about it from there. And so many miss all the struggles and all the challenges and the educational films and everything else before you became the overnight success. Right. It's so true. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Oh man. I don't even, there a lot of them are not even, I clean up my IMDb page every once in a while because I'm like, well, like no one cares about that movie. You know, I love that you that left the manual five though. That, I did. That, I that, that, that takes some courage. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And Frankenhooker, which is a movie that I, Used to say there's something to offend everybody in. Yes, I left that out there too. That was so funny too. When I when you used to go to job interviews and you actually had your resume and everything, I would I would go in, I would sit down, and I would watch the people go like this. I could see they're reading, and then they go down. They get to to the bottom and they go, "Oh, you cut Frankenhooker." <laughs> <laughs> it would almost always happen. It was very funny. I love it. Yeah. Uh, well, 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 as I alluded to, there are going to be two different audiences that I think we're really going to be speaking to today. One of which, as we've already talked about, are going to be those that are still working their way up, earning their their credits, feeling like, oh, am I ever going to get my version of election or am I ever going to get my about Schmidt or whatever it is? Um, and as we've already said, you just have to keep doing the work, keep honing the craft, keep getting better at your skill set. But I think the more important audience to speak to are both those people, but more importantly, those that have gotten closer to where you are at your level. The reason I want to talk to them is not so much about the craft because they're already doing what you and I are doing. It's how you're doing it that is so important. And that's the conversation that I think is really the most important one. So talk to me about how you and I first connected and what's really important to you as the new president of the American Cinema Editors. Well, I think um, one of the things that, it, and it's taken me a while to kind of evolve to this place, is just that <clears throat> staying healthy, both mentally and physically, while you work so hard. Because, And also 
I started out on film, which was very physical. You were constantly getting up, reaching, pulling and putting reels on, you know, you were all day long, you were moving. Now all of us sit, well, I'm sitting now, but I, I sit and stand. And that's not good. It's just not good and healthy, not good mentally and not good physically. So one of the things I mentioned to Jenny that I would like one of the things for Ace to start just promoting, you know, I don't even know how to promote it, but um, I, I might know a guy that knows how to promote better health and yes, post-production. Yes, so I'll, I'll connect you with him. <laughs> Hence we are here. And she said, you got to talk to Zach. I was like, okay, great. And I admit I'd seen you on one of the videos, maybe it was at the annual I, have, I did we meet before? Oh yeah, we did meet once. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Met but once um, very briefly years ago at an event you spoke at. But other than that, it's we haven't had any meaningful interaction. Right. Well, Jenny was saying you got you should talk to Zach. So one of the things I would love to do is just kind of just promote health, general healthiness and just get. It happens to me. Happens to all of us. I imagine we just get in our own world, and especially when you're super focused on a project or something like that, you forget about. You forget about your, your, I mean, I, I, I tried never to do this, forget about my family and stuff like that. I basically had my life down to my family and my work. And that's really kind of what all I focused on for the last, you know, 10, 15 years. But yes, I, I think that promoting healthy mind and body would be something that ACE could do to help our other editors just, uh, you know, and also just socialize with other editors and stuff like that. Like, I think, you know, we talk, I think we talked about it too. Like, or you did. Yeah, we did talk about it. Um, you know, going on hikes and just socially walking and just like seeing people and, you know, like that kind of thing, just to get out of our own heads a little bit would be good. Yeah. And, you know, like, and this all came about really, I was not very healthy for many years. I had gained quite a bit of weight and, uh, but when I was, I had worked with Ted Demi on the movie Blow, which was also a really fun movie. And I just loved him so much. He was just the greatest guy and greatest director. Yeah. And then, by the way, if, if anybody hasn't seen Beautiful Girls, go see Beautiful Girls. It's one of my movie. favorite films ever. I loved Blow too, but Beautiful Girls is just a it's classic. So yes. And but Natalie anyway. Portman, it is so good. It is so good. And he, he was such a joy to work with. And I, I think about him all the time. He's actually influenced my life all the time because he was so positive and so full of life. He was also a guy that would eat a steak at 11 o'clock at night and, you know, and he was young and, you know, anyways, he, when he died uh, of a heart attack, which was so sad, it kind of woke my wife and I up and we were like, jeez, man, you know, he was a little younger than me, but we were pretty young. I think I just turned 40 or something, but you know, my wife went out and bought a treadmill and we started exercising every day. She's really good in that and about it. And then I got a bike shortly thereafter and I started riding my bike a lot. Um, just to, And I find it so good on so many levels, creatively and just physically and just, you know, overall health. It, it just feels good. Well, as, as somebody who uh, who put in your, your self-written intro that you're, uh, you know, a, a semi-professional editor, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of your side hustle editing, uh, editing all these movies. You realize that, we, do, we don't have time for this stuff, Kevin. Like this health is something I do during my hiatus. But how do you expect me to do this during a, a movie or a TV series? Like health, the, I'll, I'll do that when I get to it, when I have time, right? Like how, how am I supposed to be able to do this on a, on a busy schedule in Hollywood? It's so true. It's really hard and it takes some discipline. You know, it means getting up earlier. So you have a half hour to meditate or whatever first thing in the morning. And it means... Then if you're going to exercise for a half hour, it means you got to build that half hour into your day. You know, sometimes I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much do something every day. It's maybe not as a big workout, like riding my bike or, you know, a full hour in the garage, you know, on the treadmill or whatever, but I try to do something and some, but I'm also, I don't beat myself up if I, if I miss my morning cause I overslept or whatever then uh, I'll do it in the evening. I try to do it in the evening before dinner or something like that, if I can, or after dinner or after I'm done working. So, I mean, I'm, it is hard. You are absolutely right. But I think if you, I think what happens when you miss it, then you will make time for it. And that's what's happened with me. Like now I know if I miss my morning meditation, I can feel it later in the day. And I'm like, damn, I should not have missed it. And it's not, again, like I'm beating myself up. It just it's just become a necessity for me to 
have that to start my day. And same thing with exercise. If I miss a day of exercise, I just don't feel as good. It's something I really want to do. You know, I think that's what happens in the beginning when you start getting into the routine. It feels like a job and you're like, oh, I've got to go out. And, and I feel that way sometimes, a lot of times actually. But um, I think now, at least for me, um, that I've been doing it for many years, I, I, I feel much better. Ha- uh, it's like a habit and I feel much better doing it. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Topo. That's T-O-P-O. And I think the important thing here is the idea of it becoming a habit and realizing that it's not gonna require effort forever. It's not that it doesn't require effort to exercise, but as you alluded to, you get to the point where you notice the negative side effects of not doing it more than being worried about the effort to do it. And I think that that's a really big point that I want to, to make for anybody that might be listening that's been doing this for 20, 30, 40 years and it's like, now I'm supposed to start exercising? Like, oh, it's too late for that stuff, right? Never too late. No, first of all, it's never too late. But I think you also have to understand that it's all about the result that you're working towards and that motivating you. And what's happened because of the diet and the fitness industry and everything else, we believe, well, I'm an editor. I don't really care if I'm not, you know, 34 inch waist and looking perfect. Like I just sit in a dark room and I tell stories to me, if you're exercising, eating well, all of these other things, side effects might be weight loss and looking better and feeling better. But to me, the result that we're working towards that you and I have talked about in the past is the creativity. We get paid to make decisions for a living. We get paid to take other people's ideas and tell their stories and package them in a succinct way. It's really hard to do that if you never exercise and you never move and you don't meditate and you eat crap your brain doesn't work anymore. So talk to me about some of the side effects that you notice, both positive and negative, when you stick with a habit versus when you don't. Well, absolutely. And I feel for people too, because when I'm, I'm, here I am, I, I, I don't always practice what I preach because when you get really deep in the film or, you know, you basically work, you come home, you go to bed, you get up, you go back to work. So it's really hard. But I, I think, and I don't want to repeat myself, but it, it, when it becomes something that you actually really miss, like you said, or you, you feel it really helps you a lot, if it clears your head, it, I, I think it becomes something that you just really want to do and, and you make time for it. You make it somehow work. Some of the things that, one, one thing we talked about last time too, what I find, so I live by Griffith Park, which is beautiful. And so I ride my bike up there three, four times a week just do my little loop, my little morning exercise loop, takes me 45 minutes. 
But a lot of times I'll go, okay, today I'm going to be cutting a scene or we were cutting the scene yesterday. It wasn't quite working. I'll, I'll just put it in the back of my head, put on my headphones, start listening to music, whatever, right up there. Almost all the time, like halfway up, I don't know if it's because of the blood going to my brain or whatever, more oxygen, I don't know. Like an idea will come to me and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, maybe that. Or some other idea and some other scene will come up and I'm like, oh, we should change that. Maybe we don't need that. You know, I'll, I'll be thinking about things, but not like hard thinking, not like I've, that's my focus. Um, so that's kind of a meditation thing too, I suppose. You know, you're just not thinking about things and thoughts are coming. So, but I find it really helpful and I find it really good just to clear my head first thing in the morning with some exercise. I, just me personally. I, I think other people feel that same way. And then another thing that I'll mention that, you know, obviously I've worked with Alexander Payne so much and he's also very health conscious and he goes for big hikes every morning. Um, he doesn't ride a bike or anything like that, but his big thing is going for walks. And then we almost always, when we're working together, take an afternoon walk, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And as he said, and as he says, you never regret a walk. And it's really true. You know, we'll be working and, you know, it'll, it's not, some things aren't working, but about 4, 4.15, he'll be like, let's go for a walk. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. And we just walk around the neighborhood, you know, just get some fresh air. And it's always super helpful. It also gives you just a little more energy, like just being outside. So I think, you know, to all the editors out there, when they about four o'clock when they've been sitting in their chair after lunch for the last four hours and, you know, get, go for a walk, get some fresh air just around the block or wherever. Just, it's really helpful creatively and physically. Yeah. For, for me, it's all about the, the creative benefits that I get from exercise, from taking walks, from taking breaks. I think the problem is that we have this mentality that's been burned into our brains and conditioned for decades is that as a technician, we're being paid for the hours that we work. Therefore, I'm earning my paycheck if my hands are attached to my keyboard. However, how, how dare I go out and take a walk because then I'm not working. But what you're alluding to, it kind of sounds like you're working if you're not at your computer, right? Yeah. Thoughts are coming to you. You're talking or even taking, even taking your mind off of something for a while. You could, you could call it work because <laughs> um, you come back and you might have a fresh, you just even a few minutes away from it, uh, gives you a fresh perspective on what you were working on. So it's a plus, but yeah, I suppose if you have a, uh, you know, somebody behind you with a whip telling you to work, then it may not look like it's paying off, but I'm sure it pays off. And also may as well bring it up right now. I'm a big napper. I like taking a short 15 minute nap in the afternoon. And so does Alexander, thankfully. So, um, you know, that is also a big thing that if you're going to work till eight or nine at night, uh, afternoon nap. 15 minutes, literally 15. I'm really good. My brother can do it and I can do it. We can lay down, zonk out, wake up and get back to work. I don't know if it's a, a genetic thing or what, but we, we both can do that and we both do do it. So I think that's a great thing to do too. Now that's really hard for people to like break away and say, I'm going to go take a nap, but you know, they can go to their car or something, lay down for a second, 15 minutes and, or maybe they can build it in their schedule somehow. I don't know. But now with everyone working from home, it's, it's way easier. easier now. Now you yeah. just turn off the Zoom camera. Oh, sorry. I must have had my phone to do not disturb. I apologize. Exactly. Right? Exactly. A lot, so a lot harder years ago. Yeah. I, yeah. When it comes to the naps, that's that's a whole nother level, I think, of a mental barrier that people are going to have. I've talked to many people, uh, many of the students in my coaching and mentorship program about how they can better organize their day to have consistent energy. And even when I talk about walks, they'll say, oh, I just, I feel so guilty doing that. It's like, first of all, we have to eliminate the guilt, the naps. That's a whole new level of guilt. That's really hard. It's, and it's a cultural thing. It's just about the culture that we've been trained to believe we're only earning our pay if we're actually working. But how many times have you had the most brilliant editorial idea in the world staring at your computer exhausted versus on a bike or Better. taking a shower or taking a walk? All the best creative ideas happen when you are away from your workstation, not in front of it. The work happens at your computer. That's when you're actually putting the bricks in their piles. That's when you're building the wall. Designing the wall and solving problems, that happens away from the workstation. You can't be creative if, if you don't get away. It's just not possible. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's well put, Zach. Absolutely. 
I think that's exactly right. So the big question that I have for you, given you're you're definitely one of the the more experienced people that I've certainly brought onto this show, I have a a huge array of uh, projects that you've worked on. You you've you're very seasoned and have been in this business for a long time, and you're now in a position where you can affect change. How do we start to rewire the culture of many of your colleagues and my colleagues that still believe because they've done this for so long, the only way to do it is to work harder not work smarter? That's a good question. I think by supporting the ideas that we're talking about and just saying, no, you, these, this is a good way to be creative. This is a better way to be creative. Just by, I mean, you can't, you can't make laws, but you can guide people and tell them that there are other ways to approach these things. And I hope that, that we can work together at ACE and do that just to put it in their minds. Not everyone's going to jump to it right away, but a lot of people might be like, you know, I think they're right. And that, that they are right. I've thought about that, but I never, but maybe I got to be more proactive myself and make these things happen, you know, uh, change some life uh, styles. They have to do it. We can't do it for them, you know, but if we say this is actually, this is a good thing. It's okay to want to take a walk every day. You should do it. You know, you, a lot of editors do it. Um, a lot of creative people do it, you know? Um, and yeah, it's like, you know, I think like that would be the best way to approach things. Telling people it's okay. And that it's not only just okay, but it's good. Yeah. And I, I couldn't agree with that more as editors, as assistant editors, as people in post-production, we live in this insular world where it's just us by ourselves in a small, dark room. And we have to make assumptions about how other people are doing it. So I would just assume looking at your IMDb Pro page, well, you must work all the time. Therefore, if I'm going to be Kevin Tent someday, I'm going to have to do the same thing. You coming out here and saying, guys, I take naps during the day. That's how I cut my movies, making that more acceptable. <laughs> that, that's the first step. Because my, my, my firm belief is that the way that we did things in the 20th century the assembly line model, you punch in at a certain time, you punch out, you have to be at your workstation. Those days are over, especially now with remote work. I believe that we get paid for the value that we bring, not the time that we are doing some specific service. And we bring better value and we solve challenges by working smarter and not just working harder. Because frankly, I don't know if it's possible for any of us to work any harder at this point. So we've got to find a different way to do it if we're going to create the same output or even better. Right. Well, I agree completely. And yes, I think all the things that we've been talking about, exercise for sure is is at least something that makes me a better editor. And also meditation. I do a lot, you know, I do meditating now, which I never, I haven't done. That's something recent that I've done, but it's been great. And it's one of those things where I go, why didn't I do this years ago? But I wasn't ready. You know, it wasn't a thing that I was in my head yet. But, uh, you know, now I, I, I really miss it when I don't do it. So what, what was the instigator? Because for a lot of people, they're hearing meditation. Like it's one thing if I get on the treadmill for 20 minutes, but like I have time to meditate, I'll do that later. What is it that, what does it change your mind? Cause I'm assuming it wasn't an easy transition to make. Uh, it was really easy. It was when Donald Trump was elected, literally the next, like the day or two after he was elected, I was like, I'm going to have a hard time handling this. And I don't know why I just decided that I'm going to need to meditate or something. And so I think I had read about this uh, app called Headspace somewhere. I was like, all right, I'm going to try that. So that's what I started with. I, I, and I started that like two, one or two days after that's just it. I was like, I was going to see that. And it has been enormously helpful. You know, it doesn't change what's going on in the world. It just basically allows you to react to things a little with a little more perspective and a little more calmness, which is, which is what I needed. So, uh, um, so I did that. I used Headspace for a while, which was great and very, I really liked it a lot. Then I did, um, I did like a year, year and a half of TM, which was interesting just to mix things up. And for those that don't know, that's transcendental meditation. Uh, that's one of the favorites that Tim Ferriss likes to talk about. It's good. It was good. And then the, but, but the last couple of years, which I've really enjoyed is another app called 10% Happier. And the reason I like it is because there's many different um, instructors on it and you can switch around if you want to hear somebody else's voice or you want to hear some other meditation uh, 
you know, prompt, uh, you can listen to it and they have little courses and stuff like that. And I, I find it really, so I, I, you know, if we hadn't had a shutdown, I was getting ready to go on a retreat. I was like, you know what? That's time for me to go on a meditation retreat, but I'll do that when, when this all passes. But, um, so I haven't gotten that far yet. And then some people are such good meditators, but I'm still in my early infancy stage with it. Well, I think that the important thing here that you mentioned a little bit that I'll uh, reiterate is meditation isn't going to change the world. However, meditation can drastically change your perception of the world. And frankly, in my mind, that's all we have is the perception of our world, right? If, if you really want to go deep into the matrix theory, all we have are the sensations and the information that's coming into our brain, whether it's artificial, whether it's real, nobody can actually prove, but you have control over your perception of things and how you react to them. So how does that meditation translate to you better managing political issues, better managing schedules, demands, challenges in the edit room? How does the meditation translate to being a tool for you as a storyteller? Well, it, it, I would say the same thing. It helps you react to what you're working on, the, the politics involved, because don't forget, I mean, you know, I know, and all the editors out there know, you're also like a total politician while you're, while you're in the cutting room. So, and that's a skill set, which we haven't even touched on, which is really, I think, one of the most amazing things that we wind up doing um, as people. But, uh, you know, it, I would imagine it, it has helped me in that. Although I think I, because of my father, who's a really easygoing guy, I think I was pretty good with reading people in the room and the editing room and able to, you know, make things work with people, I think. But meditation has definitely helped in that where you just are a little less, you just less, a little less reactive, think a little bit more, and then you can kind of uh, come back with what you want to say or how you're supposed to react, you know? So I think it just gives you a little bit of buffer and a little bit of thoughtfulness in what you're going to say or do, you know? in the cutting room and in any, and actually your whole life. And you don't really notice it. Like I didn't really notice it again until I, until I miss it now. Like if I don't meditate in the morning and I realize that I'm a little jumpy in the afternoon or a little short, you know, it's because probably because I didn't start my day the way I like to, <laughs> you know, I think creatively it helps too. Again, it's like one of those things when you're not thinking about something and you're just kind of like, ideas will come to you, you know? Well, uh, one of the things that I wanted to mention is this idea of the soft skills to better manage a room. Because everybody talks about the tools, oh, I did this in Avid, or, you know, maybe I do this in Premiere, or whatever it is, or here's how I assemble a scene. But the soft skills are where I like to focus my attention because I feel like not nearly enough is paid towards those. The joke that I always make is that if somebody's looking for an editor, the job applications that say previous careers must include janitorial experience, experience as a mediator, experience as a politician, and most importantly, must be a certified therapist. Oh, so true. Right? Like it's so, so true. Yeah. Anybody that focuses just on the craft itself, the craft is obviously incredibly important because that's what people see on the screen. But I believe the editor has to be the one person in the room, which brings us back to meditation, where you can just bring everything in, not immediately react and process and think before you give your thoughts. Cause you have to be the one that takes all the disagreements and says, I think this is maybe where we need to land. Let's try this. And it takes a lot of those different skill sets. It does. It's really true. It's really true. And that is something that I think is a huge part of the job. I mean, gigantic part of the job. And, you, you know, it's not, it's not always easy. You're often put really in a tough jam. And you got to figure out what you think is best for the film. And you got to figure out or, or show or whatever. And if everyone else disagrees, you got to kind of deal with, oh, you know, they're going against what I think is best. And it gets really complicated and really difficult. But, and I, I think that that's probably a skill that maybe a lot of editors already have. Maybe that's why they're wound up in the editing room. I don't know. I mean, but it's something that should be nurtured. And if there's any way we should talk about it for ACE, if there's any way to kind of nurture that kind of thing in people too, to understand um, interpersonal relationships or something like that, like how to, to deal with some of those difficult things, but it is tricky. Yeah. It's a very tricky thing. And I think that the, the mentality right now is, well, you just, you kind of have it or you don't, but is it something that can really be taught? And the same can be said for networking as well. 
as editors, as people in post-production, most of us, not all of us, but I would say that the majority are introverts. We chose editing for a reason. You can't take an extrovert, just like the the general run-of-the-mill stereotypical extrovert and say, here's what you're going to do for the next 30 years of your life. You're going to sit by yourself. You might have a window. You might not. You're going to have very little personal interaction, and you're just going to work and generate ideas. I know a lot of people that say, kill me now. Just kill me now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For us, it's like, yeah, sure. That sounds good to me. Like the pandemic, you know, globally withstanding everything that's going on for me personally. Oh, my God. It's been heaven because I just get to stay home and do my own thing. And I know for a lot of people it isn't. But as an editor – that's just kind of part of who we are. And then we have to bring in interpersonal communication skills and networking. Oh God, scares me. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes me nervous still. But uh, I think I, I totally agree. And I, I think one of the greatest joys about editing is that there's nobody closer to a film or a project. It's like you are at the center of it all. You know, however it evolves and however it changes, you're not the only one, but there's really no one closer to a film except for maybe a producer or director than the editor, you know? And it's, you have this, I, I think of it as having a relationship with this thing. And I think it must be how a painter might feel about a painting. You know, they're very engaged with the blank canvas and it becomes a thing. And, you know, that's kind of how I think about editing, which to me is very fulfilling. And, it, and, I, and the older I get, I realize everyone else wants to be as close to the project as you are. And they're jealous, <laughs> You know, um, so uh, I always feel that way. I can tell I'm like, oh, they wish they were as close to this project as I am or, you know, as we are as editors. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. So let me throw this out there. This is going to be a, a challenging question that I don't necessarily expect an answer to, but it's a conversation that I've been having for years with uh, quite a few very high-level editors. I've asked this question of Walter Murch. I asked this question of uh, Stephen Rifkin. I asked it of Carol Littleton. If we are closer than anybody else, and arguably you could say that the writer is very intimately involved with the story, the director is, the producer – but we're on the very, very inner circle. If you're going to put together the minimal crew, you need an editor, no matter what, unless it's a one. And even then you need an editor. 1917 has how many edits in it? And it's just a one, right? right? Yeah. So you, you need an editor. So then why, to this day, are we still treated as the technicians we were when film editing began? Why are we not in the conversation about being in the same uh, place as a director or a writer where it's not above the line as opposed to we're just the bricklayers? Why, why do you think that is? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think it's gotten better, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe just for me it has because I think, but I think editors are much more respected now than they were even a few years ago. I think probably one of the reasons is because of a lot of things that Ace does, but it's just one of those things. I mean, it was more of a, considered more of a blue collar kind of job back, back in the days, which kind of was, I guess, you know, and I think now maybe more, Maybe the stakes are higher. So some of the bigger films and projects have, you know, 
want to get the artistic integrity of from an editorial perspective. So they bring in, you know, editors that treated more like artists, I guess. Um, I think now more so not, not, not enough yet, but I think editors are being considered similar to writers. Well, not writers are a little higher up on the food chain, I suppose, but it seems like it's coming. It seems like it's getting better to me, but not, not where it should be. But, um, but me personally, you know, I'm very lucky because Alexander Payne is a huge believer in editing and he's a real filmmaker. And I think he just understands the power of it. And so, and he treats all his people on all his films with a lot of respect and wants your input and everything like that. And, you know, that's how we, our relationship has always been. So now when I go into other films, most of the time, that's what the, the relationships are already set up like that. I'm not there just to push buttons. I mean, sometimes it happens, you know, sometimes you just, okay, well, if that's what they want to do. You got to do it. But, um, so I'm not sure I answered the question yet, but I think it's getting a little better, but it's not there yet. And it's causes, all I can think of is that, it, is that the film industry used to be just more of a blue collar industry. And, and now it's in the last, let's say 50 years, it's evolved more into a different kind of industry. Does that make any sense? Uh, it, it does make sense. And what I found really interesting about your answer, uh, you may not even realize that you did it, but you said, well, editors, you know, and writers, Oh, wait, no, hold on a second. The writers are still above us. And in my mind, yeah. if there's if there's an equivalent, the directors, of course, they're they're the ones that are running the the ship, right? They're the captain. Right. But to not at least be on equal standing as a writer when really we are the final digital writers, yeah, the logic true. of that yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. add up to me. I'm not taking away from the writers. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be where they are. They deserve to be where they are. But we're essentially doing the same thing with different tools. So I've never really understood from a logical perspective, why are we not treated at the same level as far as above the line, as far as the, the protections that we have? It just that's it, never really added up to me. And it seems to me if there is something to work towards, we should be in the same conversation. Should we not? Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess probably because editors come in, you know, in the clinch when the when the script is not good and when the writing is not good, that's when editors really prove themselves. And maybe because of that, we're not we're kind of like, it's a last minute thing. You know, it just, I don't know. I'm not quite sure why, why it is. My belief is, and this is where I think Ace really comes in. Like you said, Ace is a big part of uh, sharing the information about what editors actually do. It's really easy to judge good or bad writing. Yeah. You can see that some man, like this project is what it is because of the writing. The dialogue is crisp. The structure is great. And most likely that was on the page. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes the writing wasn't so great and the editor came in and fixed the writing but guess what nobody knows that we are the invisible artist so it's much harder to put us on the same level as a writer when most people watch the oscars and say what does the editor do again right everybody knows what the writer does everybody knows what the cinematographer does but when there's editing and sound mixing and sound recording they're like what do these people do right why wouldn't you just treat us like a below the line blue collar worker if that's the perception of our role yeah Maybe what A should do is release projects before they've been cut and then after they've been cut. <laughs> I've always been a big believer, and I don't actually think this, but as a, as a side note, that when you submit for awards, you should have to submit your editor's cut, yeah. right? Be before anybody jumps into it. And then you're like, oh, okay, now I see where this started. But anyway, that's that's, right. that, that's a whole yeah. side conversation. Uh, so yeah. the, the last thing that I want to ask you, specifically as the president of ACE. I had this conversation a while ago with Stephen Rivkin, but I'd like to refresh it for anybody that's listening. What is ACE? How does it work? And if it's something that I want to be a part of, how do I get in? I get this question all the time, and there's a lot of misconceptions about what ACE actually is. Well, uh, you know what? It's an honorary society. Uh, it started back in the 1950s where a bunch of editors said they were not getting treated well. They wanted to just elevate, like, what do we do? No one knows what we do. And I imagine back in the 1950s and early television and everything, it was all assembly line, you know. So they wanted to elevate what we do. And it is an extremely, it's a craft, but it's, a, you know, but we raise it to an art form so many times. So we're artists, we're craftsmen. Um, so really what ACE is, is an organization of editors that have gotten together to promote what we do and, and also just to socialize and just to see each other and just to commiserate and just have a 
where there's so many of us now and more than ever, just to have a community uh, so we can talk about ideas and promote what we do. And if people are interested, please join. We love, and it's expanding because we have, you know, editing just seems to be expanding. It seems like, I mean, I don't know if there's more editors now than ever, but. My son's an editor. He's really? So he's, he's, he's 11, he's got iMovie and he's got a YouTube channel. Everybody's an editor now. See, I, and I had nothing to do with it. If anything, I tried to dissuade him. I'm like, oh God, no, just please choose anything else. But he did. How funny. Oh, that's so funny. That's great. Good. See, yeah, that's good. And I think editing is now cool. Editing has become cool. It's be- it's becoming uh, it's becoming cooler. I don't know if it's cool yet, but it's becoming cooler cool. than it was it's for not sure. Cool yeah, but right, 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 right. Well, that's what we're gonna work on. But anyone who's interested should for sure join and help help. And you know what? Basically, it's a community of other like-minded, like-professioned people. And it's men, women, everybody. So we, you know, come on and join. And, um, you know, if they're, if they have the credits and, uh, all they need is a couple of, they need a couple of references, um, it, they can join. So. And that, that's one, uh, one myth that I want to dispel because people, a lot of times will say, is ACE like another union? Is a part of the editor's guild? It's very much not. No, it's not part of the union. The union is great too. I mean, thank God we have it. But no, it's really think of it as uh, you know a honorary society. It's a, it's another group of editors that like to get together, promote editing, promote our history. You know, there's a lot of we do, we do a lot of with education and stuff like that. So, and I hope we even do more more of that stuff. You know, I'm I'm going to work towards promoting more of that stuff. And health stuff. And you know what? Just what we're doing right now is really part of ACE. Okay, you're a member, I'm a member. We wanna we wanna promote health and well-being to editors because they work so hard and they gotta, you know, let's keep our heads on straight, you know, and stay healthy. So this is just one of the here's a perfect example of what ACE can do and what we're trying to do with ACE. One notion that I want to misspell is the idea that, oh. Just come join because it is it's the barrier of entry isn't anybody can just go to the website and say, oh, I enter my email address and I'm a member of ACE. Right. Some people are very confused about what does it actually mean to be a member of ACE, see the credits on TV or in the, the movies, whatever it is. So if somebody wanted to join, what are kind of the, the minimum barriers of entry uh, just to, to be considered and be a part of this group? Well, you should, I think most people join when they've had some experience. They've been around, they've been editing for a few years. We have specific benchmarks that they have to meet. Do you so many feature films, so many television, hours of television, that kind of thing, or documentaries or, you know, whatever, or, you know, reality television. Anything, I don't know what those are exactly off the top of my head, but they're, I think they're on the website. So basically though, we're, we're it's not like, there's been some people that have talked to me, they're like, they think it's going to be a career boost for them to be an ace. And I'm, I'm always like, well, that's not really the point for this. You know, you, it's be more like when your career is, is starting and settled a little bit and you are committed to being an editor. Yeah. Then, it, then I mean, it might help your career. I don't think, I don't know if it does or not, but I don't think people hire people just because they have, are members of ace. But so we definitely are looking ACE is, a, is an organization with established, somewhat established people. Uh, I don't want to seem like we're snobby at all because we're not, but also people out of film school are probably not going to join ACE or they probably won't be accepted. And, you know, and we're there, you would need a couple letters from established ACE members. And, you know, basically you go, you submit your application, uh, you have an interview and then you're voted on uh, to, to join or not. So and we rarely, if anything, we just tell people, you know what, we, we love you. We can see you have a great future. Uh, please hit us up again next year or two years from now when you have some more credits. That's really the only reason that people are ever turned down. And it's never turned down for good. It's turned down just for, you know, till they have maybe a little more experience. So we're looking, I guess ACE has got more experienced editors and non-experienced. Right. And I'll, I'll be the first to say, just put it right out there. I was one in that category of, I didn't get in the first time. Really discouraging. But at the same time, I came in after I'd done my first TV show. I'd done four seasons of it, but I only had one show under my belt. The meeting went great. I loved everyone. It seemed like it was the perfect fit. It just wasn't the right time. I put in another year of experience, had a new show on my resume, got in the next year. Yeah. That's really the only reason we turn people don't, 
get in. So it's just because just a little more experience, you know? Yep. So, and, and just to clarify a point that you made, you kind of stole my next question, which is, well, I'm assuming that ACE is going to help me find work and it's really going to, you know, be a big boost on my resume and I now get paid more. I'm like, no, that's going to be a big shocker for you if that's the reason you want to join. Yeah. If you want to join that. In fact, I just had a friend of mine say that not to me, not that long ago. I was like, well, I don't think, and he's been around a while. I go, if you want to join ACE, you should join because you want to just be a part of this, all these, all these other editors. I don't think it's going to get you jobs. I mean, I doubt people go down and look at the list of your credits and go, oh, they're an ace. It's not like, it's not grade A stamped on, you know, the side of the cow or something like that. Although maybe it is, maybe it is a little bit like that. Maybe we need to make it a test where you have to cut sample scenes. And if it doesn't read a certain benchmark, then you're not ace certified. That would be so hilarious. We should do that. Yeah, that should be like, like a, that should be a, the, a recruitment video. You get like two minutes to cut a scene. Well, the, the way that my mom put it, because uh, when I was uh, going after Ace and didn't get in the first time and then got in the second time, she learned all about it. And she put it so succinctly to help me understand what it is. After we went through all this, she's like, oh, I think I get it now. Ace is kind of like Phi Beta Kappa for editors. I was like, right. Yes, yeah, that yeah. totally makes sense. Honorary society based on your past work experience, but you get to connect with like-minded professionals. And to me, I think the most important benefit, if you're looking at it selfishly, there are so many benefits to being a part of the community, the learning resources, the events, the networking. If you're going to be totally selfish about it, I think that having ACE on a resume is a credibility marker that other people that are good at what they do have accepted you into the same group. But other than that, it's not going to get you a higher rate. No studio is going to say, oh, you get a $500 a week bump because you're ACE. They don't care at all. It's nothing to them. But it's a credibility marker that people know, you know what, you, you've been doing this for a while and you've, you know what you're doing and you're amongst other like-minded professionals that agree with that. Right. Zach, that, that was so well put. I wish I would have said what you just said. You can steal so it, good. by the way. Going forward, you can steal it. It's all yours. I'm gonna, I'm gonna write it down and have it in my hand for the next time it, it comes up. But you, your, and your mom put it perfectly. Too. Yeah, I was just like, oh my god, that's brilliant. Because I had such a hard time explaining to like my in-laws, like what's Ace? I see the people's name. I'm like, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's like a ten-minute conversation. Right now, I just say it's Phi Beta Kappa for editors. Oh, okay, I get it. It's not the union. It's not job recruitment. It's none of that. Right. That's so good. That's so perfect. Short and sweet. Perfect. Exactly. Well, that's we're editors. We like to condense things into the simplest story possible, right? Yes, that's our job. Clear. Yep. Exactly. Uh, well, what I would uh, would like to to commit to, and I know that this is something you want to do as well for anybody listening, whether you're still breaking in, still learning, trying to get to the ACE level, or for those that are listening that are ACE members, you and I, we've got some work to do. We're going to be building some new materials and doing whatever we can to bring just a little bit more life into the work-life balance, into the world of being editors and creative professionals. I love it. Well, let's do it. So on that note, on that note, I'm very excited uh, to make this happen. Um, as an editor, you think my timing would be better, but we're two minutes over. I'd like to keep it nice and succinct, but it's the pandemic, so it's pandemic right. time. Um, but uh, last simple question, then I'm going to let you go. For anybody that comes to you with the, the same question over and over and over, how do I get started? How do I break in? How do I succeed and become the next Kevin Tent? What's what's the best succinct short advice that you usually like to give people about succeeding? Um, I tell them the young ones. I say, just keep on cutting. Cut whatever. I mean, I cut so many stupid things and I didn't want to do them. I cut stupid features that I didn't want to do. And I filmed that I'm not proud of and everything like that. But I cut, 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 cut. And then you know, part of a longer answer, I was, I, I didn't plan this. It just kind of happened. But every time another door opened, I was confident. I was able to, because I had done so much editing on those educational films or whatever. I knew when, when I got that call, Roger Corman, I was nervous, of course, it was like a big life change, but I was like, I can do that because I did that here and I did that there and I can go through that door. And when I first got my first big feature, Girl Interrupted, I remember thinking, oh my God, it's it's like a multi-million dollar movie. Everything else I had done was the most expensive thing was maybe election. And that was like, a, I don't even know how much it was, five, six million, I don't even know. Um, Girl Interrupted was like a big Hollywood movie. And I remember being so nervous about it. But then I was like, wait a minute, it's just film like all the other ones. Just let me do it, treat it like how it is. It's just more film. It's just more expensive film. <laughs> 
you know, I just stayed focused on what I was doing in my job. So I, anyways, the, the short answer is keep cutting stuff and you'll get experience. Even if you're cutting your brother's wedding video or something like that, just cut it, make it the best wedding video ever, a baby shower video, just, just cut music videos, anything. Just keep on cutting and get good at it. It's not about the material as much as it is about what you can do with it. That's what I always yeah. tell people. What, yeah. what have you done with what you were given? Not, oh, I'm going to judge you on what you were given. Because we get so self-conscious about, oh, I don't want to put this short on my reel. Or I worked at, oh, nobody should see it. It's like, I don't care what it looks like. I care what you did with it. Right. Yeah, no, it's true. And you'll get better and you'll discover things. You're like, oh, I can do that here. This is great. This made this way better. This wedding video is going to be awesome. They're going to love it, you know? And, uh, and you'll win it for the next wedding video you do. Maybe you do like five of them and you learned a couple of tricks that you can use and that you learned on one that you can use in number five, you know, who knows, but you know, just be brilliant at whatever you're doing. And then you reach the point where you say, I'm never doing another wedding video again. We've all been yes. there. We've all reached that yes. point where you said, this was the last one. No more. Yes, it's true. It's true. It's okay. But then when you do that, that's all right. Then you're uh, moving on to the next thing and you're confident in that. So that's a good thing. For those that were inspired by today's interview that want to connect with you, learn more about ACE, learn more about career in general, ask you questions. Is there a way that's easy for people to connect with you? Well, they can connect with me. Um, Check me out, find me through ACE. That would probably be the best way. Um, and, you know, they should go to the ACE website and poke around there. And there's so many things on there. And, and I'm hoping we're going to get more and more stuff up there. So that would be one way. Yeah. And then they can track me down through there if they want. All right. Well, that sounds great. Well, on that note, this has been a tremendous pleasure. I'm glad that despite some of the, the Zoom challenges and technical barriers, uh, we got this in the can. And I think it's going to be really helpful and inspirational and educational for people. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with me today amidst your busy schedule. Likewise, Zach. It's my pleasure, Zach. And let's do some great, let's do some magic. Yes, sir. We will indeed. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for being here. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Talk to you later. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.